Welcome everybody, good morning. Here we are. The time has certainly come. And so excited to be with you guys. Man, it's been a long time to get to this point. It's, I'm so excited. Well, this last week I got to take my uh, son to college. Let's show this uh, photo real quick. Here we are moving my boy right here. He's, uh, he's this good looking guy right here, right behind me. Oh, it's such a, you know, young families, you got young kids out there. Ooh, it goes fast. It goes fast. It's heartbreaking. It's both an exciting moment and it's like, it's like someone cutting your arm off. It's all, it's so hard. So, uh, yeah, big weeks of transition. You know, I was thinking on the one hand, like, you know, I was backstage, I saw little things that reminded me of Mark. So if you're missing Mark, I am too, and that's okay. You can miss Mark, because I do too. And I miss my son. And yet, it's like a good thing, right? These changes are a good thing. And um, that's what the gospel of Mark is. As we go into this chapter, we're going to look at Jesus bringing an incredible moment of change, like a threshold that he's going to lead us all over into a new season. And he says, the time is at hand. God is near. God's on the move. And um, I, I'm so excited to dive into this brand new moment with you guys, because my life is full of change. Maybe you are too. We'll be talking about that today and how God uses moments of change in our life to open us up spiritually to him. But here we are in the Gospel of Mark, and I want to just point out something to you guys right away, all right? So we poured over this thing to edit it to make sure there were no mistakes in it. And I, you know, we were just looking at every word, and yet, surprisingly, even one little thing did sneak through, and I want to draw it to your attention. It's not a big deal. It's not really an important verse. It's only the Gospel. So <laughs> you can imagine, like, why did we miss that? But I think, actually, there's a little bit of, like, a cool spiritual message in this. But here it is. Verse 15, your reads, the time has come, he said, repent and believe the good news. But actually, this should be in there. And this is the good news that Jesus was proclaiming. The kingdom of God has come near. <laughs> so uh, put a little asterisk, write that down. This Saturday morning, I got up and I was like, okay, are there more of these? So I got audible, I heard an audio Bible, NIV. I listened to it and with a pen, I went through every single word and put my word as I listened to it. Boom, 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 boom. It took me 45 minutes. It's all here. We, we got it all. We got it all. So just that one little funny catch. But if I could just run the risk of over-spiritualizing something and just maybe just point out maybe a spiritual meaning behind forgetting that line. I think it's so fascinating because it's the gospel. And I just think maybe there's like a, a message for us in this and that you know, we live in a world that doesn't, that is living without the gospel. We are living in our world that does not know the good news, that the kingdom of God is near. And maybe some of us have been living, we know here that God is near, but we're not, we've lost touch with it. Maybe we've just lost touch with the nearness of God in our thinking, in our lives. There could be, we've just gotten busy and caught up with things. We're just so busy running from thing to thing with our kids, or maybe we're going through something difficult that has just gotten us to just lose touch with this core truth. Well, my hope is that through this series, that the Holy Spirit will renew in all of us a fresh conviction and awareness of this central truth. The kingdom of God is near, and it is the best news we could ever, ever tell anybody. So here we go. 
we're jump, we're diving right in. And uh, I want to just give you guys um, a little tip on how to get the most out of this series. Uh, the whole point behind this series in this book is to give us a chance to dive, do a special deep dive. We won't do this for every series we do, but once a year, I'm thinking we do something like this, where we go a little deeper with the word like this, where together we're highlighting, underlining, and engaging it with a little bit more intentionality, all right? It's either that or I call on you. Which one do you want? You know what I mean? I could be like, hey, what do you think? No, but it's rather than freaking you out, you know, hey, just underline this, circle that. It's a way of participating. And in the world of uh, learning theory, you will learn a lot more if you're participating in some little way. Well, one thing you can do is during the week when we have Daily Hope, the Thursday Daily Hope, which is our daily devotional, uh, is going to be a little different. Rather than Daily Hope, it's going to be Weekly Huddle. And every Thursday, in that same slot, so you go on your phone, on the app, or on the website, I'm going to be doing a short little devotional preparing us for the passage that I'll be teaching that coming weekend. So it'll be out of the Gospel of Mark, something to get us ready, get us excited, and also I'll be sharing with you some of the prayer requests that I have as I'm getting ready and what I sense we need to be praying into as a church. If we are all queuing in on, a, on Thursdays and praying for the one thing I give us, I think a little bit from a lot goes a long way. One minute of prayer from all of us will result in over 30 to 40 hours of praying as we go into that weekend service. So let's go in with the power of God in our sails, all right? Okay, here we go. Deep dive. I promise you a deep dive, so we're going to do that. I want to get you guys in on the context of the gospel of Mark so you get the excitement and uh, that I'm feeling as we go into this special book. And I want to talk about, real quick, four distinctive aspects about this book. What makes it unique among the four Gospels? Number one, the Gospel of Mark is unique because it's the earliest Gospel that was written. The earliest. It is the one all the others use as sort of like a framework, and then they build on it, bringing in and elaborating with more stories that were circulating at the time. But Mark is probably the first one written, written in 65 AD, just 30 years after Jesus had died and rose from the dead. Uh, secondly, it was written by a guy named John Mark. That's hence the title, a gospel according to Mark. John Mark is in the Bible, and you can find him in Acts. He traveled with Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys, and get this, he was the personal assistant, sort of executive assistant to Peter. He was Peter's interpreter. He was the one writing down Peter's memoirs or his living memories of his experience with Jesus. So in a way, the gospel of Mark is Peter's ver uh, remembrance of his experience with Jesus. Number three, more than any gospel, get this, this is interesting. As short as Mark's gospel is, the shortest of all four, he captures more little windows into Jesus's emotional life than any other gospel. He gives us more insight into the emotional life of Jesus than Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. 15 scenes in the entire gospel that give us adjectives describing Jesus's emotional state compared to Matthew, who only gives us six. Luke gives us seven. John only gives us four. So what does that mean about Mark? It means when we look at Mark, we are actually getting probably the most intimate look into Jesus's life. We're getting behind the scenes into his state of mind and heart in a really unique way. And so as we go through this series, I'm going to be challenging you. Look for those moments, and I'll try to point them out to you as we go along. 
And then lastly is the pace and the tone of this gospel. It is so fast. It is like moves through things at a pace that Matthew and Luke don't. So for example, Mark blows right past the genealogy of Matthew and he gets right to the action. He blows right past the nativity scene of Luke. He gets right to the action. He goes right past the whole temptation scene that Matthew builds out. He's like, yeah, Jesus went in the desert. He beat Satan. Enough said, let's get on with it. That's, that's just Mark's style because it was Peter's style. And being a bit of an ADD guy myself, I kind of like that because you know what? This guy is not about let's jabber, jabber, jabber. He's like, let's get to the action. Anybody here like that? Anyone here is like, come on, let's do something. That is the feeling of Mark's gospel. It's got a pace and a tone that creates urgency and a sense of excitement and passion. And so there's the repetition of this word, utheos, right here. That's a distinctive of Mark's gospel. Do we have that slide? Utheos, the Greek word. Yeah, there it is right there. Yeah, it's 42 times in the gospel of Mark, and it's translated immediately or at once, and it's communicating this intensity and pace with which the whole book kind of unfolds the story. And that's meant to communicate the urgency for a couple reasons. Number one, there's an urgency because when this was written, Christians were being persecuted. Let's show the Colosseum. They were being thrown into the Colosseum and being eaten alive and being killed in front of a jeering crowd. And so Christians were having to meet in secret and were reading the gospel of Mark in the catacombs, the places where they would bury the dead because no one would go looking for them there. And so I think the next slide shows the catacombs. They would meet in secret places like this. This is where the gospel of Mark was being read. Well, we've come a long way, haven't we? But it communicates the urgency because the times were dire. Christians were under pressure. And Peter wanted to get this story out so more and more people could hear it, even when he couldn't physically be present with them. Urgency, passion, and excitement. And if you want a great book to go along with this whole series, I've got a recommendation for you. Here we go. I've got 15 books on the Gospel of Mark. This is probably my favorite. It's like only this thick. It's easy. Come on, you got kids, you busy? This is for you. It's so easy. And this guy, Michael Card, unpacks a lot of the little interesting historical background moments. He lists out uh, all the moments where we see Jesus's emotion. And, but it's a tight little devotionals that are really cool that you'll enjoy. So check that book out, Michael Card. All right, well, here we go. Urgency. That's Mark's go-to tone. It's like Star Wars. Remember the opening scene in Star Wars, New Hope? The ships are flying, the explosions are happening. It gets right to the action. And you see that in verse 15 when Jesus says, the time has come. And that is so true. The time has come. God is on the move. God is at work all around us. And I'm hoping that today in this series, will help us recognize the activity of God in our life, to give us eyes to see how is God at work in your life calling you to follow him in a fresh way right now in your life. It doesn't matter if you're 12, 17, if you've got a family, or if you're retired and you're looking how to be refired. Jesus wants to call us afresh to follow him and join him in what he's doing. And I want to help us recognize what that means for us. So, that's the focus for our message. What does it look like when Jesus is calling us to follow him? How do we recognize the activity of God in our life? We're going to start with um, uh, 
verse 2, and we're going to look at how Jesus prepares us when he's calling us, when he's getting us ready for his move in our life. And number two, the promises that he makes to build our faith. So here we go. Preparation and promise. Those are the two key points. Let's start with preparation. Verse two. Look at your books. Verse two, it says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Nick did an amazing job last week unpacking that Isaiah prophecy. 500 years of people waiting for God to show up, getting ready. I want you to circle the word prepare. It's used twice in those two verses. Prepare in verse 2, prepare in verse 3. Here's the point. When God is at work in our life, and he's calling us to him, he's going to prepare us to follow him by sending messengers into our life. When God is preparing us, he sends messengers into our life, and he sends us as messengers to those around us. Three times the word send shows up in this whole verses 1 through 20. Look at your book, and I want you to look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. God sends John right there. Circle the word send right there. In verse 12, the Spirit sends Jesus into the wilderness. Circle that one. And then in verse 17... What's the last one? Jesus sends his disciples. Now here's the point. When we circle all this, you're looking for this pattern. And what Mark is tipping to us is that we are going to see a lot of sending, a lot of God sending people out to prepare them for what he's about to do in their life, because that's how God moves in our life. The question is, do we recognize the messengers that God's put in our life to get us ready? That's the question. God always sends messengers to prepare us. This is the pattern all throughout Mark. And I want us looking for where we see God sending messengers to prepare people to recognize Jesus. But what about us? Have you, has God ever sent someone as a messenger into your life to give you a word of encouragement that felt like it was coming right from God? To give you, a, as Nick talked about last week, a prophetic word, something that was forth-telling, bringing something out that God wanted to do in your life, or forth-telling, preparing you for what was to come. Has God ever sent a messenger into your life to invite you into a spiritual conversation or to help you go to another level in your faith? Can you think of anybody in your life who has been like that for you? Okay, draw that to mind. I'll give you an example while you're thinking. There's this guy, Jared. I was invited to go give a message about five, six years, seven years ago, to give a message to the high school group. Willie was the high school pastor at the time. We're back in this room praying for the high school kids. And one of the leaders goes, hey, Ryan, I feel like I have a word from God for you. Hey, if this man, if this resonates with you, great. Let it stick. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. So he, this is what he shared. He goes, I just sense God It wants to tell you that you think the best days are behind you for ministry, but he wants you to know that the best is yet to come. You think God is done with you and that the best he can do in you and through you is in your past. But he wants you to know there's coming a new season in your ministry, and it's going to be better than you've ever seen before. Seven years ago. Do you think that guy was right? <laughs> you know, I needed to hear that because 
By that point in my ministry, I was, I was like going around the country sharing about the work of God in San Diego. And I was always talking to people about what God did. And I'm like, man, God, am I there now? Am I there? Am I like where I talk about what God did and it's nothing else is in front of me? The best is behind me? And I was getting a little discouraged. I'm like, well, I guess that's it, God. I'm already, I'm done. I'm retired. It's like, I'm just talking about the past. Anyone in there? Anyone ever feel like you got there? You feel like maybe your best days are behind you? For whatever reason, we can find ourselves in seasons of life where we feel like, nope, best is back there. And God wanted to renew this hope and expectancy. No, 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 no. No, the best is yet to come. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Come on, we got some people in this room who got a little life under their belt, got a little bit of God's glory in their hair color. Yeah, come on. How old was Moses when he called him into his best season yet? Man, that guy, you guys remember? Come on, he was like in his 80s. Come on now. God's not done with us. It doesn't matter if you're in your 20s, your 80s. God wants to renew his calling on your life. And he sends messengers into our life to encourage us. And right now, as you're listening to this message, John came preaching, Jesus came preaching, and for 2,000 years, Men and women have been preaching the gospel as a way of giving a sign to the world that God is speaking to them right now. Maybe you're here because someone invited you. I want to challenge you this morning. Don't see them as just a friend or a spouse or a neighbor. But would you consider seeing them as a messenger of God in your life? A sign that God is preparing you for a new season of his work in your life. All right. Number two. Jesus prepares us by stirring in us a desire for change. He prepares us with messengers, and he prepares us by stirring a desire for change. Look at this. In verse 4, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then look at this. In verse 15, look at verse 15. Jesus said, Repent and believe the good news. Okay, in both of these passages, there's one word that's the same. Do you see the word? It's the word repent. Let's talk about that. Let's go to the Jordan River. Here we are at the Jordan River, and John is baptizing people. And baptism is referenced numerous times in verses 4 to 9. How many times? Look at verses 4 to 9 real quick. Look at them. Verses 4 to 9. How many times do you see the word baptism in that scene? Okay, go ahead and count them up. One, two, Three, come on, look at it. Take a look at it. Look at it. You're going to see, you should see what? Anyone want to throw out a shot? Okay, you got six. Did you include the baptizer in that, your account? John the baptizer? I don't know. Yeah, well, it's five baptisms. And then if you include John as the baptizer, you got six. That's right. Okay, so why? Why is that so important? Because... Mark is drawing our attention to the way God prepares us, and baptism represents something in how God is preparing us for his call on our life. What does baptism represent in this moment for John? All right, what does it represent? Look at this. It says right here, it was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So it's a symbolic act of commitment that represents our choice to repent and forget and be receive forgiveness. What does repentance mean? Go, go ahead and write this down. Repentance means a change of mind. 
Go ahead and write that down. A change of mind. It means being willing to change our minds about how we see ourselves, God, about our circumstance. It is a U-turn. It's the readiness to make a U-turn or the willingness to just change, if you want to just understand it in that way. And I want to just unpack a couple ways in which that could mean. It could be a change in our moral life, right? That's what John's talking about. And this kind of change that is being stirred is he's preaching the need to deal with those areas in our life that are not morally aligned with God. This is the change of heart that sometimes we come into in our life where we or the Spirit starts stirring in us conviction to change the ways that we are living and the way that we're thinking. We call it conviction. And it's the conviction of sin that is one of those signposts that God is stirring in us and preparing us for a calling on our life that he's doing something, right? So have you ever felt that conviction that something needs a change in your life, okay? That something is just not right with God, where something needs to shift. I remember one time when I was moving from my junior high to my high school, I was going to a new high school. I didn't know anybody. So there is a change in circumstance, but in that change of circumstance, I wanted a change of life. My, I, I, my heart was longing for something more in my friendships. I don't know about you guys, but when I was in junior high, I had these guy friends, and we were always about putting each other down, alpha mailing, one-upping each other. You know what I'm talking about? You know, it would get to the point where we would almost even get into fist fights to show each other who's tough, who's the guy on top. I just hated it. And when I was making that move to a new high school, my heart was longing for something more in my friendship. And I didn't want to be trying to prove that I was the man or the tough guy. I just wanted friends where we had each other's backs. I wanted a different kind of heart. But I wasn't a Christian yet, and I didn't know anything about Jesus. But God was preparing me for that change. And that hits the other one. Sometimes it's a change of circumstance, change of heart, conviction of sin, change of circumstance, where something is happening in our life. On the surface, it doesn't have any immediate spiritual meaning, but God is using it to disrupt our life to signal a new season. I'll give you an example. The change of circumstance in this scene is that John is arrested, put in prison, and it's that arrest that signals to Jesus it's time to get to work. Right? John, his cousin, is arrested, and Jesus doesn't go, whoa, that's a bad situation. I need to run for the hills. Jesus sees it as a sign that God, his Father, is shifting him into gear with his ministry. There are changes in our circumstances, positive and sometimes painful ones, that God might be allowing in our life right now to signal a spiritual shift in our life. I'll give you one fun example. My son going to college. I was meeting with him one time. We were praying. I said, son, you're going to college. It's a change of environment, a change of circumstance. It's also a change in your spiritual life where you are no longer following Jesus just because I've told you. It's a chance for you to grow up into your faith and own it and follow Jesus because Jesus is your Savior, not because he's your dad's Savior, because he's your Savior. And so my son texted me this week, and he said, Dad, I was on a walk, and I just started praying, and I felt God's presence so much that tears just started welling up. This is an 18-year-old boy, by the way. <laughs> this is crazy. Tears welling up in my eyes. 
because it was so good. My son had never mentioned that ever in his 18 years of living in our home, but he did that day. The second one, how you know God is on the move, was, or another one was, he was having fun all week with people, bouncing from social thing, and one night, or one afternoon, he was praying and said, hey God, what do you want me to do tonight? Should I go to this, you know, party or this fun thing? And God just said, stay home tonight. Don't go out and be with me. God's speaking to him. God's meeting him. And the best one of all, he sent me as a picture on Friday of him wheeling his laundry, get this, his laundry basket to the laundry mat. My son is washing his own clothes. And let me tell you, if that isn't a sign of God moving in his life, I don't know what is. So take heart, parents. They're going to get there. They're going to get there. But the change of circumstance is a change in his spiritual dynamic with God? Is there a change in your life that God wants to signal? And number three, sometimes it's a change in, um, of commitment that God wants to ask of us. Baptism was a physical act that we could take that represented something spiritual. And as a church, we love to do these things. There's symbolic actions that we do that help signify an inward reality with an external expression that helps us participate in what God is doing spiritually. I'll give you a couple examples. Sometimes we do, every top of the month, we do communion together. That's something we would love to do. And it represents what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it represents, as we take the elements, it represents re-inviting, just welcoming Jesus into the center of our life. We, another thing we love to do is, sometimes you'll see people raising their hands. You know, what are they doing? Are they stretching? Getting a good back stretch? Man, it's like they're just, God, I surrender my life to you. I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I live for an audience of one. Another thing we love to do in our church is sometimes we'll invite people to raise a hand when they're making a faith commitment. We invite people to stand, come up and get prayer. These are all symbolic acts of commitment that signify a change in our lives spiritually. So when God is on the move, he prepares us by sending messengers and he prepares us by stirring our heart to change. Where is that for you in your life? Where do you sense God stirring your heart with a desire to change? All right. Now, that takes us to um, the next one. Jesus makes us a promise. Let's turn to verse 16. Check this out. So he prepares us, and he promises us. Verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Now, just pause right there. If you turn in your books to page, what is it, uh, page 12, you'll get a beautiful picture of the Sea of Galilee, and you can kind of see the kind of shore that Jesus would have been walking on. It wasn't beautiful North County Sandy Beach. It's like rocky, kind of rough terrain, actually. Check it out. Beautiful picture of the Sea of Galilee, but it's by this sea, this very sea, that Jesus would have been walking when he called his first disciples. Verse 17, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Now here's the thing. When Jesus is calling us, he prepares us, but then he promises us. Why? There's two promises in this verse I want you to notice. He promises us things because he wants to strengthen our faith to follow him because following him is disruptive. It's going to call us out into things that are risky. He's going to call us out into things that maybe change our daily routine. Any routine people in this, in this room? Any people here love a good routine? Come on, come on now. People be proud. I am raising my hand. 
You know me, every Friday, I go get my pizza. You know what I'm saying? Every morning, the first thing I do is go down and get my coffee. I love my coffee, my pizza. Ooh, you know, I got my routines. But man, you know, it's like having a kid or something. These major life moments can disrupt our routines, and Jesus is no different. And so he gives us his promises to strengthen our faith because sometimes following him is scary. It's going to change our life. He's like, hey, let me make you two promises so you don't freak out. And here they are. He promises us his presence, and he promises us a divine purpose as we follow him that we would never find on our own. Here we go. His presence right here. He says, come follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? You guys, listen. It doesn't following Jesus, you're not following a doctrine. You're not following a philosophy or an idea. You're not following a concept. You're following a living person. So when you take a step of faith to follow Jesus for the first time or to go deeper into your life with him in a way that's got you kind of your heart in your throat, you got to know that as you take that step, you are going deeper into the presence of God. You're getting closer to him. When Jesus invited those disciples, the first thing he promised them was, come be with me. And that's the first promise. When you follow Jesus, you get Jesus. You get the presence of God. And what is God's presence like? God's presence is like this baptism scene. Can we show up the the Jordan River? God's presence is like being immersed and saturated by an unconditional, inescapable love. That's why the river. God's presence is what every one of us as human beings were created for. And maybe you know God's presence from a distance, or maybe you're just smack in the middle of it, just immersed in it and you're loving it. Let me give you an example. It's a little bit like my dating history with my wife. When we were first dating and hanging out, I was in her presence. We would go out, hang out, have a good time. I was with her. I was in her presence. I remember one time we were on this date and I said, hey, can I give you a kiss goodnight? And she's like, "Mm, not yet. And I was like, okay, all right, we're not at that level of presence. (laughs) But I was in her presence. I was with her. But then, let me tell you, on her wedding day, oh yeah. I was in her presence, but on a whole other level. And you better believe when the officiant said, you may now kiss the bride. Yeah, game on. It was some some kissing going on. (laughs) But then just this last Friday, I was on a date night with her. I'm sitting with her and we just dropped off our son, you know, know, tears. And um, we're just in the thick of life and I'm looking at her and I'm like, I literally had this moment. I'm not just saying I looked at her and I'm like, she is more beautiful than when we got married. I even have a picture of our wedding day in my phone. I'm like, yep, she's literally prettier, even more beautiful. Come on. Now listen, now listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's not even here, so that's not even for extra credit points with her. <laughs> but here's the point. When you follow Jesus, you get the presence of God. Some of us know God's presence like a dating thing. You kind of know about God's presence. You get that feeling. You get that awareness, that sense of God's nearness. But maybe you're a little bit like my wife back then, and you're like, hey, hey, Jesus, you know, I don't want to be hanging out with you every day. You know, I need a little distance. I remember we had this great date, and the next day I called her, and she was like, are you going to be calling me every day? <laughs> you know, 
you might feel that way about Jesus. Like, hey, I don't want, you know, you every day, Jesus, just kind of. And then there is the experience of God's presence where it's like the wedding day is just falling on you like a waterfall. Do you know that sense of God's nearness in your life? Have, have you ever felt that? Have you ever known that? I'm not talking about emotions. I'm talking about an awareness that God is not a concept, but he's with you and he's got you. When Jesus is baptized, three things happen to communicate God's presence. Number one, the spirit comes upon him. Whenever you follow Jesus, you receive the spirit. And as you follow him deeper still, you are filled more and more with his spirit's influence. Number two, he hears the voice of his father tearing through the heavens. You are my son whom I love. When you are in the presence of God, living out of his presence, you live your life with this tape in your mind, constantly saying, I got you. I love you. Is that the, is that the voice in your head these days? Maybe you've lost touch with that voice and God wants to renew it today. The voice of the Father speaking his love. It says the heavens were torn for that voice to come through. Maybe there are barriers in your life that keep you from sensing that presence of God speaking to you. Other voices have crowded out the voice of God. And when you allow Jesus to draw you near, he awakens the voice of the Father speaking his love over you. Could you use that? And the last thing is you're filled. The voice confirms the Father's love. You're my son whom I love. You are filled with love. That's a promise. And you can have an initial experience with it like a first date. You can get a good bucket full, like a good wedding day, or you can live immersed in it like a 22-year marriage date night. That's a promise. Well, and the last one as we wrap it up, I want to invite the, no, not, not the band yet, but is the promise of purpose. Look at this, guys. Verse 17, I will send you out to fish for people. When you follow Jesus and you hear his call, he promises to give you a divine purpose that is infused into your daily job and career. So if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, if you're a teacher, an engineer, a salesman, whatever your job is, listen, that is not your purpose. Your purpose is divine and eternal as a son and daughter of God. And being filled with a sense of divine purpose is a deep, profound yearning for every human being. A lion does not care about purpose. Goes out, kills, eats, chills under the sun, happy as a clam. But not human beings. We've got to have a sense of purpose, a sense of reason for being here, because we're more than just atoms randomly, accidentally colliding together. There is something to a human being that is more than just the material in our bodies. There is a spiritual dimension to your existence. And that part of you, that, that, that forever part of you, your soul, your spirit, 
yearns to be reunited and to go deeper into the river of your divine purpose as a son and daughter of God. And when we get on our life just doing our career, making money which has its value, but we lose touch with our divine purpose, we're off course. We're off the path of following Jesus. And that happens to all of us. Maybe you need to have that renewed in your life. Revive because it brings an energy and an urgency to everything we do, the way we parent, the way that we go to work. I got a friend here who's a teacher. I won't point her out. I mean, talk about, that can get pretty mundane every day, every, you know, gosh. I don't even spend that much time with my kids. God bless you, teachers. But when she goes to meet with those students, she is wondering, what is God doing in their life? She goes in with a divine purpose. Who are the people that God wants to throw his net on and bring home into his love? And it infuses energy and urgency and excitement and passion into our everyday life. Could you use that? Come on, that's what Jesus has got for us. We'll, see, we'll learn more about that next week. So if you don't feel ready for that, don't worry. This whole fall is about helping us get there together. But I want you to watch this video about what it means to send out our nets because it's really actually more simple than you realize. I was talking to a guy today after service who was just teary-eyed, just giving me the biggest hug, just telling me how he needed to be here today. And he pointed to this couple. He's probably like in his 30s, but it was this older couple, probably in their 60s, and said, those guys, they invited me to be here today. I wouldn't be here if they didn't get me here. It's actually really that simple. It's just, but there's something when we go into our everyday life with this sense of divine purpose, man, God is on the move. The kingdom is here. And God is bringing people home into his love. That doesn't make people a project. That is not about making people some little project where we're working on them. No, no. It is an invitation to encounter the one who loves them and has known them from the beginning of time. And God wants to fill your heart with that love for them. So if you are nervous about that, excited about that, this fall, we're going to let God get us ready. And my invitation is to recognize the call of Jesus to be the center of our life and to allow him to use us to bring others home to the Father. Let's go into this song. And as we go into this song, would you be thinking, who are people in your life that God maybe just wants you to begin praying for? Okay, that's all I'm talking about here. Just praying for. Nick last week said, hey, write some names in the back of the book. So could you do that right here? I don't care if you're in high school, junior high. I see some high school, some college dudes here. I see you guys. What's a name? Someone that God maybe wants you to pray for this week. Let's write them down. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you that no matter where we're at on our spiritual journey, some of us in this room just see you. We're on the edge of the crowd watching safely. <laughs> we're not sure we want you to be the center. So we've got, we've got our safe distance. Lord, I pray for those in this room. Thank you for them being here. We just pray right now. I pray for those of you who are in that space that you would just feel this is a safe place to grow closer to Jesus, to learn about him, who he is, 
what it means that he is the son of God. And what this incredible promise of presence and purpose is that he's calling and inviting you into. Others of us, Lord, are right in the middle of it. And we just need strength, God. We need fresh filling of your spirit to go where you're calling us. You're stirring a desire for change in our life. And so, Lord, we just pray, fill us with your spirit afresh. Revive in us your calling to be your fishers of people to those around us, Lord, that you are drawing near to yourself. And Lord, I just pray as we go out this week, we would go out with that voice. Yeah, that voice. May you tear open all the barriers and obstacles to hearing that voice that wants to speak deep into our heart. You are my beloved son and daughter. With you, mm, you are well pleased. You know, before we go, listen. I didn't do this for service. But if you've been feeling like, man, that voice has been drowned out by other voices, voices that maybe are discouraging voices, bitter voices, angry voices, distracted voices, I don't know. Maybe it's just the voice of your children. God bless those little rascals. You know, but man, they're like always on you, you know. Come here, I need this. I need and you're just like, I need a fresh, I need an awakening of that voice in my life. The voice of the Father who speaks to my heart, you are mine. I got you. Prayer team, we got a prayer team today? Okay, here we go. We got a prayer team up here. I want to just encourage you right now to be open to praying today. One of those little symbolic acts of surrender to God. So if you could use that voice renewed in your life, why don't you just raise your hand right now? Just say, yep, I could use that. I would love Yep, I see you. Come on, put it up high. And as you put your hand up, man, other person's going, okay, I can do this. I see you over there. I see you. I see you in the back left corner. Bro, I see you in the shadows. I see you there. Yep, I see you in the middle. Yep, I see you too. I see you, Kate. I see you. I see you. I see you. Yep, I got you. I got you. Uh Uh-huh, okay. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the promise of presence and purpose in that voice. That voice, God, we can't live without. We pray, Lord, you would cut through the barriers, the, the, the chatter, the competing voices in our life, the competing allegiances and distractions. Lord, good things, sometimes good things. But Lord, they're drowning it out. They're drowning out your voice of love over us. Your voice of blessing. I want to pray right now in Jesus' name. May the voice of the Father's love be reopened in your heart this week. Come, Holy Spirit. Just welcome the Holy Spirit to do that. Just right now, if you raise your hand, just say, Holy Spirit, come in and renew the voice of the Father. Turn up the volume. You might just say that. Spirit, turn up the volume. Get it going on. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you raised your hand, before you leave, would you come down and get prayer from the prayer team? Huh? Yeah, would you consider that? Okay, God bless you guys. I'll see you guys next week.